Alex Melleris. And I'm Kai Fu. Going to start with the trigger warning right away. We're going to start right off the bat talking about Montreal's first round pick a couple nights ago. The Habs let us down in a big way on Friday night when they picked Logan Mayu. I, I could cheer for a team that trades a first round pick for Rasmus Ristolainen or Oliver Ekman Larson. I can cheer for a team that doesn't know a good player from a bad one, but I can't cheer for a team that doesn't know right from wrong. I can't cheer for a team that that goes out of their way to craft a statement about why they're drafting the sex criminal, and I'm not going to. I'm done cheering for this team. I'm done supporting this team. I'm done. And I'm not kidding either. And it's not just until Bergevin is gone or, or until Trevor Timmons is gone or both of them. It's not just the bigoted clowns in the front office. It's uh, at least until the Molsons don't own the team anymore because Jeff oversaw this. He knew all the information and he gave this pick uh, the green light. So how long till the Molsons don't own this team? Probably a long time. So I think you can pretty much pronounce my fandom for the Montreal Canadiens fully and totally dead. And uh, it hurts a lot. Um, part of that hurt is that I'm losing something that I've loved for about 10 years. Part of the hurt is that that I've supported a team that does not care about victims of sexual crimes for about 10 years. And a team that, that, that checks every box of a grade A misogynist. They... Here, here's some what they're all talking about. They think they can rehabilitate this player without asking whether or not he deserves the resources for rehabilitation. They, they see this as an obstacle that this player has to climb over to become a better person, and not the consequences of his own actions. Actually, consequences is probably the wrong word. He's barely faced any. He was a first-round draft pick. This team sees him or sees his victim as an expendable thing whose only purpose in all this is to be a, a dumping ground for Logan Mayu's evil and reckless behavior that he can grow from. Any responsible half-brain team would have not thought about drafting this guy for more than a second and a half, and the Habs think they can and should rehabilitate him. I know for sure that they can't, and they're not at all suited to rehabilitate him. And my first hint is that they drafted him in the first place. If you think that's a good idea, then you are not the place for him to to learn or grow. Man, this is disappointing. I think I think part of the reason like I'm doing okay all things considered is that I saw this coming, not this specific draft pick, like I was shocked obviously. But like we tore this team to shreds a few months back for showing interest in Tony D'Angelo, and I've been thinking lately if they show interest again or even sign him in the summer, I'm I'm off. I'm I'm out. I'm done. Instead, this morally bankrupt franchise couldn't help themselves and uh this came a few days early and now apparently i saw this rumor i don't know how uh how uh you know credible this rumor is that ben Sherratt is apparently off the table in the jack eichel negotiations good keep being idiotic i hope you trade cold coffee to the sabers so that i can cheer for him in a in decent conscience your turn yeah all right um yeah there, there's look there's there's no Fuck, there's no rational explanation for what they did on Friday. I mean, I still have no like I don't I don't understand how you can make this decision. Um to be so to have an entire organization to the core have their head so far up their ass that they can't see um that they actually went out of the way to pick this guy in at all. 
this guy should like you know like if he was there in the second round like they were saying oh he might have uh he might have been chosen in the second round that's what we're hearing so that's why we have to jump in the first round well even if he was there in the second round um there was there there should be not a thought in your head um that you know that thinks yeah we should draft this guy give him a second chance um because yeah you said it this guy doesn't deserve a second chance whatsoever i mean all the people saying like oh you know this guy he made a mistake he's only 17 he's just a kid um like that's that's complete horseshit and 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 then they go and say oh well we're gonna ruin his life well first of all you know not being able to play professional hockey i can guarantee you there are a million and one things million one worse ways to ruin a person's life and i would argue you know being barred from professional hockey that's not ruining someone's life that's just tough shit you weren't good enough um and if your hockey abilities happen to be good enough but you're a complete total and utter piece of shit as a person you're not good enough to play professional hockey in the nhl um and that's what this guy is he's just simply not good enough uh and it's it's worse than drafting a shit player obviously that goes without saying um but uh yeah, it's truly baffling how they could look at this. And, you know, you, they clearly saw it coming. You go back to the statement that they put out right after they drafted him. They knew that the backlash was coming. They knew that this pick was no, you know, people will be pissed at them. Because I think deep down they knew, um, you know, people would think it's wrong because it is wrong. Um, but despite that, they still saw, like, you know, the, the thought crossed their mind clearly. They weighed the pros and cons of drafting this guy. That That much is clear. Uh, and and it's evident by the statement. It's not like they were completely oblivious to what the people would think. They knew that people would be pissed at them, and still they decided we're gonna pick this guy. Um, and and um, it's fucking sexual criminal. It's it's fucking incredible. I it's it's beyond incredible. It's just and you know it, it was basically the entire hockey world, you know, uh, came to a standstill when they made that pick. Everybody was fucking shocked. Um, and and, and uh, you know for the most part, are, uh, rightfully outraged. Um, because yeah, this is, I mean, this is beyond reprehensible and yeah, I mean, how can you go, go ahead and, and cheer for this team when yet again, this is not the first time. This is not the first time they have shown, uh, symptoms of being completely and utterly morally bankrupt. I mean, you go back to Tony D'Angelo, there's no way in hell you should be, you know, there should be any sort of reports that you're looking into the guy, but also, you know, we look back a few years when it was still Bergevin, you know, there was interest in. You know, the recently charged of domestic abuse at the time, Slava Voinov, they, you know, the Habs were the team that was linked to him. They didn't eventually sign him. But, you know, that in itself is a huge red flag. Who the fuck should be, you know, re- reporting any sort of interest in Slava Voinov at that time after all those accusations of, um, you know, domestic abuse surfaced? Um, and so this is not the first time. It's not the second time. Uh, and... It's it's it. I don't think it's gonna be the last time because clearly they don't they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. All they see is the hockey, and you're not. We're not even gonna talk about how you know this guy wasn't even the best player available because it doesn't matter. But that too. Um, and yeah, I just I, I don't know. Did they think that this was gonna be some sort of feel good story? Um, I don't fucking yes. understand. Um, but they clearly do. they they, they, read they see it this completely as a fucking wrong. They see this as a chance for a redemption arc. That's exactly how they imagine these things. And that's how so many people who you're mentioning, who are really telling on themselves, you're like, oh, give this give this kid a, a chance to learn and, and bounce back or whatever. And I saw some people saying, you know, anyone who is defending this pick or this player at all, uh, it's nice that you know to stay away from them at the very least, to, to not befriend them. Um, that's clearly a massive personality red flag. Uh, yeah, and also, like, 
D'Angelo showing his point of hiring Sean Burke. That was only a couple months ago. And one that I had, I don't know if I'd forgot about or if maybe I didn't really understand what what was going on back in 2016, but the Alex Galchenyuk thing, basically for anyone who doesn't know or remember, he was a victim of, uh, of, of assaults, his girlfriend at the time. And basically it was framed as though Galchenyuk was the one with maturity issues by the team. Remember Michelle Terrian even said like, oh yeah, he's a young player. He'll learn from this. And like, he was kind of villainized in terms of being a distraction. So uh, this team has a, you know, a terrible history with this, especially since Mark Bergman's been here. And it kind of ties back to the fact that Mark Bergman was in the Chicago Blackhawks front office in 2010. And that story has somehow miraculously gotten a hundred times worse over the past week with all the the news we have about that uh i'm not going to uh to dive into the the details of the story right now i don't think that's a i don't think i need to i think everyone probably knows or can find it but basically it's gotten a lot worse to the point that i think it's irresponsible of the NHL not to force Chicago to cease operations. It's probably irresponsible that they were even able to make trades and sign players and participate in the draft because this is probably among the worst scandals in NHL history. Uh, and once again, the, the NHL is uh, trying to, to downplay it and the team as well. You know, you know what I thought of hockey is it's, it's a very safe space for like evils and lack of compassion to thrive, you know, everyone, everyone who is complicit in that Chicago cover-up, including Stan Bowman, Mark Bergevin, Kevin Shoveldayoff, probably even Joel Quenville too, should be banned from this league for for life, in my opinion. If this league had a had any sort of moral compass, and we saw, you know, Chicago making the last pick of the the first round, saw them parade out, uh, you know, eight women, like here we are going to celebrate women in hockey, and there's a there's a word for this type of of propaganda. I don't remember what it. It's like exceptionalist propaganda or something. I don't know. That might be wrong. But it's basically like where you highlight an exception to the standard as a way to try to like absolve yourself of wrongdoing. This is the Blackhawks did this uh, in the first round to a T. Like, how could we be uh, uh, how could we be bad when we have eight women here? Look at all eight women who work for us. They're all white, by the way. And it's the same type of thing you see, you know, like um, uh, how police um, departments will like make a, a black officer their spokesperson or whatever like their public figure in order to be like see how can we be racist when we have like a black officer here it's the exact same type of uh way to try and manipulate people's minds and try to frame the situation yeah i mean it's all just like glorified examples of i have a black friend or i have a woman friend right yeah. um and too. Sorry to interrupt you right as you started talking. Did you see Trevor Timmons in his press conference today? Who was like, Logan Mayu has been seeing a lady psychiatrist. That's what he said. Jesus Christ, I didn't see that. Um, but I, I heard that fucking press conference was a complete mess. Right? I thought I saw you sent me a, a thread of uh, you know quotes from Timmons. Um, but uh, I mean that that's just another cherry on top. I mean, like, yeah, this this organization is completely. Really fucking rotten to the core. The number of people that have to sign off on this Mayu pick from the scouts that scouted him um, to, you know, basically anyone who did their research on him and then passed on the message, yeah, he's draftable. Yeah, he can be a redemption story. And then up to the top with, you know, ownership, Timmons, who's the head of the, you know, the scouting and all that, and, and obviously Bergevin. Um, yeah, it's all, they're, all, they're, all, they're all completely out of their minds. And Timmons was clearly not, not able to properly justify his, 
you know, their decision here. And I mean, like, you know, there was the, there was that one clip that was going around of the press conference where he's like, you know, he's like, somebody asked him a question. I think it was, well, because right. The, the, Mayu even said himself, you know, don't draft me. Right. This is like five days ago when he's made, put out that statement and yet the Habs still drafted him. And the reporter was like, well, how do you, how do you put that together? Like the player himself didn't want to draft him. What makes you the team like say, say differently, even when the player said so himself that he just wasn't draftable. Uh, and he didn't, he went, he was silent. He was like, he stumbled over his words for like 20 seconds and then asked like, Oh, could you clarify this question? And then gave a bullshit answer afterwards. Um, so yeah, this is, they're, they're clearly all implicated. I mean, that, I mean, it was obvious from the fact that they made the pick, but uh, I mean, this just goes to show it. Uh, and I mean, back to the, back to the Blackhawks things. Um, I mean, yeah, it's fucking completely horrifying and it's, yeah, you just read the details and it's like, holy fuck, this is awful, awful shit. And you can, you know, it's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that, you know, A, it went on in an NHL team and B, you know, so many people were complicit, so many public figures. And 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 most of all that, they're all still safely in their jobs, it seems, you know, Stan Bowman out there making that pick last night. And it's completely baffling. I mean, at the very least, you can put these people on administrative leave until this investigation is over. Um, but to continue on and, and let these people participate uh, in, in the whole process, uh, safe in their roles, as if everything was normal, is completely absurd. It's complete nonsense. How could you you look at him making the picture like, this guy, you know, this guy fucking tries to, he's trying to cover up this horrifying sexual assault, and he's out here making the pick for an NHL team. Surrounded by, you know, like eight women and they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're all for women here. Um, I mean, it's, it's complete dog shit and it's, it's beyond comprehension. It's like, how do you even rationalize this kind of behavior? It's, and it's like a legal thing. I mean, this, not to mention, I mean, like, it seems like the Habs weren't the only team that were considering drafting this guy overall. I mean, this is clearly not just a, a Montreal team. It's, it's maybe worse Montreal than other places, but this is, uh, this is a whole league-wide problem. You look at Montreal, you look at Chicago, and I can I can I can imagine the problem persists. Maybe not so not as bad, but it still persists in other teams. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, and that my use statement that came out a couple days before that was like, "Don't draft me." First of all, uh, you you really probably have to be an idiot to think that was a genuine ask to to not get drafted. It's comparable in some ways to Mitch Miller last year apologizing to all the NHL teams, but not to the victim of his bullying. Same kind of thing. Logan Mayu's victim uh, was apparently extremely dissatisfied with his insincere apology that he had towards towards her. According to Katie Strang, I think, on The Athletic, he basically just sent her like two or three sentences of a text message or whatever. Uh, it's the same type of thing. And not to, you know, make too much light of it, but I don't know if you read Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Now, hold on for a second, because this analogy will make sense. Uh, basically, he said, like, you know, mom and dad, you were right. I shouldn't have a phone because I'm not mature enough. And then they basically were like, wow, he acknowledged that he's immature. I guess we can buy him a phone then if he's if he's aware of it. And basically, he like lost it or broke it within a couple of days. And I, I see something very similar going on here with Logan Mayu going, how can I, how can I recoup my image? How can I show that I'm mature? Maybe I have to acknowledge that I have growth and that it literally Mark Bergevin either. I mean, first of all, he, he wanted to, but he apparently fell hook, line and sinker for it. Cause 
right after he made the pick, he was like, oh, yeah, that statement he made the other day where he told no one to draft him. Uh, yeah, it shows that he's uh, he's made, he's in the right step towards uh, towards maturity. So we, we drafted him anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I saw. Yeah, I guess in that sense, it worked as a ploy uh, statement. Um, and yeah, it, it should have never been a, you know, a reason to point to in terms of, wow, he's maturing because he's still a piece of shit. I mean, you point, you look at the victim and how, you know, she still hasn't received a, a sincere or even heartfelt apology. That's the least of the, that's the least you could do if you felt any sort of remorse for this kind of bullshit and this kind of horrifying, you know, uh, this horrifying act. And, uh, he hasn't shown that. And so I don't know how you can point to some, you know, some Twitter apology or statement and call that evidence of redemption. Uh, And I mean, you brought up Mitch Miller, like this literally happened last year. This happened last year. And you know, it was much more open and public, this whole Mayu situation, because it happened before the draft. I mean, the Mitch Miller stuff, it kind of came out after the draft. Um, Understandably, you know, like the, the team knew it and that doesn't make it any, you know, better for Arizona to have picked him. But this was much more in the public spotlight when the pick was made, and still they picked him. I mean, it happened in the fourth round last year. Not that it makes much of a difference either he was drafted at all, but it happened in the fourth round last year, and they end, Arizona ended up having to renounce this guy's draft rights. And how, how in your right mind can you look at that situation and you say, well, you know, maybe it'll be different for this guy um, in the, if we draft him in the first round? I mean, it, it's – I don't understand. I don't fucking understand. Um, and it's clear that they don't want to like this, this Mitch Miller thing was, was clearly a reaction to the, uh, the outrage last year. And Montreal clearly sees it that way. The franchise does because I mean, they still went ahead with this pick remains to be seen whether the public pressure will result in them renouncing my draft rights. Either way, it doesn't make much of a difference in terms of how shitty of an organization it is, but it'll be interesting to see whether they fold. Um, obviously the right thing to do, like, you know, is to renounce his rights because he's an absolute piece of shit. But that they wouldn't be renouncing it because he's a piece of shit. They'd be renouncing it because everybody got mad at them. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, truly, I mean, you can't justify... It's it's completely unjustifiable, this pick. And it just... They're, they're, they don't see anything... It's clearly they don't see anything wrong with it, really. Because they really said full steam ahead and they picked this guy over any other guy in the draft, who was draftable, who wouldn't cause up such a stir. Just on that front, um, it makes no sense. But, you know, to go ahead and draft this piece of shit, uh, I don't I don't know what to say anymore. It's just, what the fuck? Did you see what Trevor Timmons, another thing he said today, was like, no one's really been talking about uh, him as a hockey player. Like, wh- I wonder why, Trevor. Why do you think so? And it was it was kind of framed in such a way so that he was like, you know, accusing people of like spending too much time on like his crimes or whatever, and not enough on you know his hockey playing abilities. Just totally dog shit. I I'm so so resentful towards this league. Where every time you know we just want to have fun and like you know talk about the draft and all the trades, they make it impossible to enjoy that to the maximum potential by you know just having absolutely no moral compass. And it's really uh it's disappointing, and I'm pretty bitter about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on, on what Trevor Trimmons said, I I couldn't give a shit if this guy had Connor McDavid level skill. I mean, this is not the inefficiency you should be exploiting. We talk about inefficiencies, pieces of shit. 
are not the inefficiency you should be exploiting. It, it's just, I mean, they, you, it's clear that they've tried it with the Voinov, with the D'Angelo, and now with this. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's not that's not how you go about uh, making your team better because it doesn't make your team better. Uh, and yeah, this I mean, we talk about it all the time in terms of like hockey as a whole. I mean, there's always some 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 what something a piece of shit did to and that that, that the NHL kind of glosses over. And they always do it. And it happens over and over. Um, and yeah, there, there, there looks like there's no end to it. I mean, this is just yet another thing. But it happens all the fucking time. Um, this one may be worse than others. But uh, I mean, in terms of moral compass, you're absolutely right. There's there's absolutely nothing here from the league. Mm-hmm. In terms of, uh, you know, pieces of shit, Jake Vertanen also got bought out today. But... I, there was a report yeah, from Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet, said, it's not legal issues that are ending Jake Vertanen's time with the Canucks. It's hockey issues. Went backwards as a player. Needs a chance somewhere else. And it's like, whew, phew. I, w- I thought for a second an NHL team did something because it was the morally correct thing to do. And Ian McIntyre says, fear not. It was only because he sucks as a hockey player. And if he were better, there's no way he would be getting bought out. So there we go. Right, they're just yet another team. It's a league-wide problem, and right, it, Jake Vertanen. There was there was a was it was a, it was a, some sort of was it a sexual assault or sexual harassment kind of yeah, uh, so was, uh, yeah. accusation? Mm-hmm. And, and this just came out like a month ago, right? Um, yeah, not too long ago. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I mean something. They just it was just a coincidence that the right thing oh, yeah, happened for sure. in that he's not on an NHL team. Um, because, yeah, you're absolutely right. If he, was, if he was any good, he would still be on the Canucks, and they would have no issue with it. Um, that much is clear. And, I mean, just that that report goes to prove it. Yep. Um, all right. I, I suppose it's time to make a... I guess this isn't such a hard pivot because we were talking about the Blackhawks and the Seth Jones trade. It is related not just by the fact that... Uh, it's the same team, obviously, but also that people are saying, oh, the Blackhawks are probably going to try and get the Seth Jones trade done as quickly as possible in the light of, you know, the news getting worse and worse about the scandal from from 11 years ago uh, in order to try and, you know, distract from it. And so it did happen. They rushed it and they rushed signing him to an eight by nine and a half million dollar per year new extension. They traded away Adam Boquist, the most promising young defenseman, who was an eighth overall pick three years ago. They traded this year's 12th overall pick. They did get back uh, that late first round pick uh, and obviously lots of other picks involved as well. Uh, But this trade is an L for Chicago and this contract is probably going to age extremely poorly for a player who's coming off uh, a very down year. Yeah. And so this is what happens when you have an organization in disarray because they're run by terrible people. Um, I mean, like, this is this is a horrendous trade if you're Chicago. It makes no sense whatsoever. And it really does seem like, you know, you take a step back, you, you put it in some context. Like, it was a, hey, look at me, we made a big move. We, made a, we, we got a big defenseman kind of move. Uh, because hockey-wise, I mean, it makes no sense. Uh, Columbus it absolutely fleeced them. Um, I mean, Seth Jones, this was an all-time low in terms of his value. He was terrible. He's also a bad person, but he was terrible this last season. Um, and, you know, it remains to be seen whether this was uh, just a down year, but it was a very, very down year if it was, um, or whether he's just bad 
And I tend to lean, it's maybe somewhere in the middle, but he's certainly not an eight by nine and a half million dollar defenseman. Um, just off the bat, that contract, you're right, sucks. Sucks. He should not be getting that much money. And we was all and we knew somebody was gonna give him that money. Um, and that they were gonna regret it eventually. And it seems that the lucky winner today is Chicago. Um, and as for the trade aspect, I mean, look, Adam Boquist might already be better than Seth Jones because Seth Jones was so bad. Um, and so to trade him away with his promising offensive upside, he, I think he's like, what, 2021? 20, um, on top of the first-round pick swap, but so I think they sent their 12th overall pick and a first-round pick next year and a second. A first um, next year also? Yeah, first first next year also. So uh, two firsts? So, yeah, two firsts, but they get Columbus's first this year uh, at the very end. I did not realize that Chicago traded their next year first-round pick as part of this deal as well. I don't know. Uh, How did just, I miss that? Um, let me just because check to make sure. That, I conditional first. If Chicago wins one of the twenty, yeah. Wow. All right. So Columbus is getting another uh, very likely high draft pick next year in this trade. Okay. I don't know how that somehow uh, slipped through the cracks of my mind, but uh, yeah. Wow. That's even worse than I thought. Yeah. So uh, in terms of uh, winning the trade. Columbus, outright. I mean, apparently Seth Jones was re- like he really wanted to go to Chicago, and that was kind of the only place he wanted to go. And remember, he has that leverage because you know teams want to get that extension; they don't want to just trade for one year of Seth Jones. Uh, and so you put that on top of everything, and it's like how Chicago, with all that leverage, with you know Seth Jones wanting to go there, uh, were they were were they forced to you know give up so so much um, in return? I mean, it's. It's completely absurd. It's a horrible bit of mismanagement. And, uh, yeah, they're completely tanking their rebuild. Because, remember, this is this is not like this is a win-now team. I mean, this is Chicago who's been rebuilding for a couple years now. And they have a blue-chip prospect in Boquist. And their team still sucks. And now you're giving up all these futures? Oh, my God. It's a complete failure. For a player who might just suck straight up, it makes no sense. Yeah, Duncan Keith and Adam Boquist was the Blackhawks' top pairing last year. They've traded both of them now. Um, I mean, the Keith trade was pretty good, uh, which uh, you've documented quite well. But now, looking at their defense, first of all, their defense with, you know, Boquist was kind of going to be like, you know, the uh, kind of top gun on defense for this new wave of Blackhawks defense when Ian Mitchell, Nicola Baudin, uh, Wyatt Kalanuck, and them. And now... Basically, I mean, they still have those other names, but Seth Jones is far and away going to be leaned on as the most important because besides him, the rest of their defense looks like, well, his brother Caleb, Calvin DeHaan, Connor Murphy, Nikita Zadorov, Ian Mitchell. After that, like White Kalanuk, Riley Stillman, Nicholas Bodain, names like that. So they're going to be leaning on Seth Jones in a big way immediately. And the message sent with this trade is basically, yeah, we're trying to speed up the process along and contend much sooner than expected. Oh yeah, by the way, uh, Kevin Lankin and his stellar starting goalie. Yeah, and, and yeah, fun thing, you know, like we're we're this year we start to see our very first contracts that end in twenty thirty. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think this is the first twenty thirty contract. Hell yeah, and it's a, it's an absolute doozy. It's absolute garbage, uh, and so yeah, how much? Yeah, nine nine and a half. Wow, just just way too much for what Seth Jones has shown last year. Uh, he's 26, so he's going to take him until he's 34, 35, actually, because he has an extra year left on his old deal. Yep. So, man, that is uh, 
truly awful piece of work from Chicago. And it doesn't really make sense in the short term because it's a bad team. It doesn't make sense in the long term because they're giving up their best defensive prospect and two two first-round picks or one pick swap in a first-round pick. So, uh, they, I don't know. Like, what the heck? How do you see what Seth Jones did last year and say, let's trade this, let's trade the whole fucking package for this guy? Um, yeah. Chicago, not only are they bad people, clear that they're bad at talent evaluation. Yeah, I think there were like there were th- maybe three big themes on Friday. One of them was moral bankruptcy. The other one was uh, giving high draft picks for bad and overpaid defensemen, and the other one was nepotism. We'll get to the nepotism, but which it wasn't just a Friday <laughs> thing; it was actually mostly a Saturday thing. Um, but the other defenseman, uh, let's do OEL next because uh, <laughs> this was this was uh, a pretty gigantic trade. Oliver Ekman Larson with nine hundred and ninety thousand dollars retained, uh, plus Connor Garland, who is uh maybe saved the ninth overall pick, the definitely the most valuable asset in the trade. Yeah, probably saved the ninth overall pick. Uh and to Arizona, the big three albatross deals of that Jim Benning has signed in recent memory, Anton Roussel, Jay Beagle, and Louis Erickson. Plus, the ninth overall pick, which Arizona used to take Dylan Gunther. I think that was a very nice selection. And a 2022 second rounder and a 2023 seventh rounder. Arizona's like, no, no, you got to throw in a seventh rounder three years from now. And he was like, all right, fine. Now we have a deal. Uh, But this is despite the fact that Vancouver managed to rid themselves of probably maybe besides Tyler Myers, the three worst contracts on their team, and also add excellent top six forward Connor Garland, they still lost this deal because Roussel, Beagle, and Erickson were all going into the last years of their contracts. So even though Vancouver does actually save over $4.5 million on the cap this year uh, in acquiring Ekman Larson and getting rid of those three guys, uh, for all the years after that, they'll have $7.26 million Oliver Ekman Larson, who has had an extremely sharp decline the past three years, is very bad now decisively. And Jim Benning is like, oh yeah, he's probably like our number one defenseman when, well, first of all, Quinn Hughes is clearly better. And uh, and he didn't even say something like, oh, I'm not so sure why his plus minus has been so bad the last couple of years. And it's like, I know plus minus isn't a great stat, but like you should probably have a general sense of like, you should try and like figure something out about a statistic. But anyway, basically Vancouver has just traded one year of dead cap uh, for six years of uh, of dead cap. I guess not technically dead cap, but more like, you know, massively overpaid negative value player. And they also gave up the ninth overall pick to do it. Yeah, so this is... Man, so there... I, I think about, you know, if I'm Jim Benning, what's driving me? And I think I can think of two factors. One is that he's just stupid and he doesn't know what the hell he's doing, uh, and which results in this massive... You know, just another trade loss uh, and him getting bad contracts. And second of all, this screams, I am, this is potentially my last year on the job. I am going all in. And if it works, we've been thinking that for six years though. I know, but this, this screen, this screams that move like quite a bit yet again, you know, and like, you know, who knows how much weight Aquilini has in him. But I mean, if this was any other general manager, that's what I would be thinking about this move because it's one year you save almost $5 million in cap space. And every other year, Afterwards, for six years afterwards, you've got seven point two six million dollars tied to Oliver Ekman Larson, who stinks and n- not a reclamation project. 
not salvageable. He's bad. He's terrible. Um, and so because right, it, it seems like that you know they're they're going. He's trying to go all in for this year, which is not the right thing to do. Let me be clear: this Canucks team sucks. I understand the Pacific also sucks, and that you know if they were any good, they would be able to grab that third uh, Pacific playoff spot. But the Canucks are not in in a in a position to contend. They're not in a position to go all in. That's for sure. Um, in terms of sacrificing the future for the right now, and that's what this is. Because right, Russell, Beagle, Erickson, all those contracts, all twelve million dollars, uh, would be would go poof up in smoke after the season because their contracts are up. Um, and for the long term health of this franchise, which is very important because, frankly, this is a, a kind of a, a rebuilding roster because it's so bad other than, like, you know, the pieces that they got, some of the pieces that they got up front. Um, that's the right move. It's to, it's to just, you know, wait it out one year, you eat the cap hit, but then you're free to do whatever the hell you want, resign your great players and all that. Um, but instead what they do is they, they, they mortgage the future for this one year um, and, and six years at $7.26 million. Even, oh, man, even if that you get that what $1 million retained, it's still, like, one of the very worst contracts in the league, given that it lasts so long. And, you know, Garland's a nice ad for, for Vancouver, but this is not a team that should be, you know, going for, for win-now moves. Um, and, I mean, that ninth overall pick, I, th- I thought it was an absolute steal getting Dylan Gunter there. And the Canucks could have done that. They could have had the ninth overall pick there, but uh, instead they chose to get this absolute dead weight on their cap. Yeah, you know, despite the fact that Vancouver uh, lost this trade decidedly in very lopsided fashion, uh, adding Connor Garland makes their team decisively better. And Oliver Ekman Larson, I mean, while being awful and overpaid, is better than the likes of Guillaume Brisebois and Madison Bowie. So, in that sense, they did indeed get better on paper for the upcoming season. And I'm looking at their top nine right now. JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, Niels Hoaglander, Bo Horvat, Connor Garland, Tanner Pearson, Jason Dickinson, Vasily Podkolzin. That's pretty sweet. It's a pretty nice top nine. I don't know. I think I think I do give them the edge uh, over like the Flames and the Kraken. Looking at this roster with Demko there too, you know, a very very good goalie. Uh, I think as of now, they they might be my pick for that number three spot in the Pacific. Right, but then you look at you know, can this team make a run in the playoffs? The answer is wholeheartedly a no. Obviously uh, not. And yeah, obviously not. But that's the thing that they're going all in on this year, as if they are. Um, and I think this this feels like an all in move. I mean, say what you will about for Vancouver means to make the playoffs. And yeah, then if they make the playoffs, that... Jim Benning has succeeded, and he gets to stay on the job for another five years. Ah, uh, the cycle of failure continues. And yeah, it's just I can't I, I don't understand how Jim Benning like he still keeps making on and on. He keeps making these moves that worsen the Canucks for the in the long term. Um just over and over. It's like I'm talking about it every other week now in the offseason. I can't believe it. I just talked about it a few weeks ago, you know. They'd throw a potato in there and do better than Jim Benning. Well, wow, here we go. Yet, yet another example. If we had just sit put you know, sat put and, and drafted Dylan Gunther at ninth overall and not and then just waited a year. You know, and and then you have twelve extra million dollars on the cap. Um, yeah, would have been much. I, I think Longo's uh, cap for capture is coming off the books next year. I think too. It's like fifteen million dollars off the books. I mean, that's fantastic. Ooh. You know, and, and, but now you you've completely tied yourself to all of Rackman Larson. Wait, who was it that's coming off the books? You said uh, Roberto Longo's uh, cap for capture. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that one, of course. Um, and the other defenseman, Rasmus Ristolainen who sucked oh, for 
the first, I don't know, four years, five years of his career, a lot. And then people were saying, maybe you should play him less than 26 minutes a night. And also not against the highest quality of competition. And the Sabres did that. They dialed back his minutes. They played him against worse players. And somehow his results got even worse. Uh, he's <laughs> making $5.4 million. And he only has a year left on his contract. Now, from a from an objective standpoint, it's good that Ristolainen only has a year left on his contract. Uh <laughs> But on the other hand, the Flyers presumably think he's good because they just gave a first and second round pick in Robert Hogg for him. And so now it looks like either they're going to extend him to a long-term contract, which is a bad idea, or uh, they just gave up some high picks uh, for one year of a bad defenseman. This trade... Okay, uh, Okay, you go ahead. All right, so yeah, it's clear that now you've given up so much because this is... This is not just acquiring Ristolainen for a first and a second, um, which is incredible. But also remember they cleared space with a Gossis Bear trade to Arizona, where in which they gave up, you know, Gossis Bear, a second, and a seventh. Um, so you, you consider all of that that they gave up, the second, the seventh, and then the first and the second that they gave to Buffalo, all of that to get Rasmus fucking Ristolainen. Um, you have to think that now they think they're tied to this guy and that they have to hand him a massive extension. Because if not, you gave up all that for a year of a shitty defenseman, and we can't have that. We have to at least have at least six years of that. Um, so I fully expect the extension to come, no matter what sort of quality of competition, because we know these general managers, they are obsessed with the optics. They'll do anything to save their image. Uh, and letting this guy walk after a year, no matter how bad he plays, because you gave up the first and all that, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a no-go. It's an, I, don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, it's a, it would be a go for me. I mean, you cut your losses, but it's a no-go uh, for, for NHL general managers. Now, yeah, it's it just I cannot believe that they got a first and a second for Ristolainen straight up. Um, he sucks. He's garbage. He's one of the worst defensemen in the league, and he's paid a $5.4 million. It's clear that you know Philadelphia saw big defensemen who has played minutes in the past, um, and they were absolutely enamored um, at I, I don't understand. I don't understand. First and a second for this guy? Really? You cleared cap space for this guy? Oh, my goodness. Uh, an absolute disaster. I remember like three and months that. ago when half a year and a playoff run of Taylor Hall was worth a second-round pick, and now all of a sudden one year of Rasmus Ristolainen is worth a second plus a first and Robert Hogg. Trade value makes no sense in the NHL. I wish, once again, I'll reiterate, I wish I could work for a team and just be like, oh, this team is willing to give us like a first-round pick for a terrible defenseman. Obviously, do it. I hear, heard even on Staff and Graph that like someone offered the LA Kings like a second-round pick for Curtis McDermott at some point during the season. They were like, eh, nah. <laughs> so, so basically, we just have two idiots who uh, managed to, you know, one of them offered it, and one of them said no thanks. Uh, so trade value is totally out of whack and makes no sense. The Flyers, they really did, you know, they traded uh, a bad defenseman who's overpaid uh, in Shane Gostis Bear. Along, you know, they basically gave picks to dump him in order to clear room for a worse defenseman who's paid even more that they gave up even more valuable picks for. Uh, So, yeah, it's just, it's beyond parity this league. Any joke (laughs) trade proposal you could make probably would have been like, yeah, that's a little bit too exaggerated to be funny. And then it actually happened. The, when 
form of the Rasmus or Stalinan trade. Like, if someone proposed this, I think I mentioned this to you, like, on Twitter, like, who says no? Ristolainen for the 14th overall pick <laughs> and Robert Hagen's second-round pick. It would be, you know, obviously, like, 96% no, and it would get quote-tweeted and ratioed to hell. But it actually happened in real life. So, uh, so who's laughing now? <laughs> oh, man. All of us. All of us except for the Philly fans. Um yeah, holy crap. It, it it you're right, it is absolutely beyond parody. I, I can't believe it. This thing's oh my god. That, you know, like we could do this job better than these people can. We absolutely can. Yes. Just just by virtue of not trading for Rasmus Ristolainen, we're we would be doing a better job at, at, at general. I, mean, to be fair, I would trade I would trade Oliver Ekman Larson for Rasmus Ristolainen. Oh, I would too. Um but oh dad, man, mm, to stretch. <laughs> All the volume like that we left. You can yeah, yeah. you no, can no, no, survive no, no, no. for a year. No, 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 I was just being I was just being sarcastic. Of course, you fucking send that absolute awful OEL deal. Um, yeah. but it sucks. Um, and they both suck. And it's hilarious that both of these guys got traded. It's just a great day for for bad trades, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was it was just yeah. a really funny day uh, until it wasn't funny on draft night. Um, but but the afternoon I had a good time. Yeah, me too. Here's a tweet from Andy Strickland about an hour ago. Told St. Louis Blues are out on D-man Ryan Suter. There was strong mutual interest, but St. Louis couldn't meet the term. Don't be surprised if Suter signs for as many as four years. Holy so apparently shite. someone's willing to offer 36-year-old Ryan Suter a four-year contract, which by the, I'm pretty sure it's exactly how long he had left on his Minnesota contract. <laughs> they never learn. They never learn. Um, oh, I can't wait for that one. Just it's just stupid piece of business after stupid piece of business, isn't it? Um, what? <laughs> what is this yeah, league? Um, all right. Uh, what other trade was there? So there is also uh, okay. There's, there's also somehow, somehow I don't think we've gotten to the worst one of all, which is Carolina trading Calder Trophy finalist Alex Nedeljkovic to the Detroit Red Wings in exchange for pending UFA Jonathan Bernier. And a third round pick. This is this. this I, was, I was like, is this a prank? It's not a prank. Uh, I I think somehow this is probably the worst one. In that, whereas the rationalization for stuff like the Ristolainen trade is, oh, we think he's good, which I suppose is a matter of opinion. And then the Nedeljkovic one is like, yeah, we didn't want to give him three and a half million dollars. Are you out of your mind? You haven't had a good starting goalie since 2006, and you finally have one who you drafted in the second round seven years ago, and you spent so much time and effort into carefully and properly developing, and now all of a sudden he's here and he was spectacular all year for you. And he's, you know, he's 25. He's ready to, you know, be your guy as you start your your reign of Stanley Cup contention, your big window, which should have been, you know, quite long. And I guess may still will be like three and a half million dollars. No, thanks. We'll send you to the Red Wings for absolutely nothing instead. And I mean, good on Steve Eiserman. For, you know, the Red Wings didn't really have a goalie of the future that was kind of missing in the rebuild. They got one now. They also drafted Sebastian Cosa, so they they appear to be absolutely set in that position now in a matter of a couple days. Uh, meanwhile, Carolina is, you know, probably going to be trying to re-sign Peter Mrazek. And I don't know, are they going to try and sign Bernier? Probably. And that's your tandem. You know, just, uh, just a couple of guys either who are probably 
honestly going to cost more than Nadelchkovic. Uh, definitely combined they will. Mrazek now has all the leverage in the world to ask for more than uh, Nadelchkovic, at least from the Hurricanes, because like, oh yeah, you didn't want to pay that guy? I guess you're pretty desperate to keep me now, aren't you? Uh, so Don Waddell, and I guess probably Tom Dundon had a heavy hand in this, uh, really bungled this. And I think Carolina having this, you know, here's your price, here's our line in the sand, and under no circumstances will we cross it, is a pretty terrible idea. And it's kind of similar, actually, to what the, the Kraken did at the expansion draft. Like, here's here's our price, and we're not budging no matter what. And uh, it's always a bad idea. And I know GMs want to be like, oh, yeah, we're the hard-nosed, whatever, tough guys or whatever, and uh, we're not budging. But at a certain point, I mean, do you want to be the GM that uh, dropped his price a little bit in order to make a deal? Or do you want to be the guy that, you know, never changes his price and so no one ever wants to negotiate with you at all because it's always fruitless? Yeah. Um, this there's this just makes no sense. Um, and to answer your question, you absolutely want to be the guy who, you know, it's it's about it's negotiation. I like I was just talking, we were talking about this the last episode with Seattle. You know, it's a, it's it's called negotiation. Um, you know, everybody bends you, you bend a little, the other guy bends a little, and then uh you know, you, you come to a happy compromise and you try to play hardball. But at the end of the day, you know that getting a contract done or getting any sort of trade done will, will be a mutual benefit to both of you. Um, and for Carolina to walk away like this for like, OK, there's two aspects for this. All right. First of all, the fact that they didn't want to give Nadelskovich the contract that he got in Detroit. I think it was either in the end, I think it was less than three. Now. I think he got three flat, right? For yeah. two years. Um, and I mean, that's completely fucking absurd. That is that that is a, that's a first of all that's a bargain of a contract two by three um and to call it quits like that's not a bad contract at all I would argue it's a great good bordering on a great contract for three and a, half a guy a like absolutely for a guy like Nadalkovic who literally came second place and called the voting last year uh, was great in the playoffs. Um, great in the regular season. I think what his save percentage was nearing nine thirty after, after and he played like thirty games. Um, it's I, I I just don't understand. It makes no sense whatsoever. Steve Eisenman. I mean, this is probably the easiest trade he's ever made in his life. Easiest starting start like above average starting caliber goalie that he's gotten in his life. Um, because wow, that is uh, what like I think in a post conference he was like what well, somebody asked him like what's Carolina's rationale for making the trade he's like you're gonna have to ask them because he sure sure shit doesn't understand you know he'll take the free goalie um and and then to yeah to get only a third round pick I mean they invested a second round pick in this guy so you're getting you're losing your investment and he was a success he was a success and you lost on your investment after all that development um and, and you dropped down around in terms of draft capital uh it's just. It's completely baffling. It's completely baffling. And yeah, in terms of their goaltending situation, I mean, it's not like, really? You're going to prioritize Jonathan Bernier, who you're probably going to pay over a million dollars? And so you're saying, and oh, what even? And it sounds like Mrazek's going to test the open market. So now you're not even sure if you have a starting goalie anymore. You just work so hard, as you mentioned. They work so hard to acquire a starting goalie for so many years, and they finally get him, and then they let him go for basically free. Like, what the hell is a third-round pick going to do for you? especially for a contending team like this. Um, just truly stupidity. It's incredible. Yep. I, I I was completely baffled when the trade happened. Yeah. I was shocked. And I still kind of am. Because, like, even, you know, hardball money, whatever, it would make a little bit more sense if the trade were anywhere close to fair value. And there are a number of teams around the league that should be kicking themselves for not getting in on this and offering more than Detroit did. Uh, off the top of my head. 
The Oilers, I'm sure you could definitely use them. The San Jose Sharks uh, literally gave up more for Aiden Hill than the Red Wings did for Alex Nedeljkovic. Uh, who else? Who else could use a goalie? The Coyotes, Kemper's on the last year of his contract. Um, you know, Boston, Tuka Rask is a UFA. And I know they want to be loyal to him or whatever, but if you can get Nedeljkovic, let Tuka Rask walk. Buffalo, I mean, Olmark's the UFA. He's going to cost a lot. I'm sure they would have loved to get Nedeljkovic, let Olmark walk. Uh, you get a goalie who's, you know, about as good and significantly cheaper. The Penguins, oh man, wouldn't they have loved to have given up Tristan Jari and a third-round pick for Alex Nedeljkovic, and I'm sure Carolina would have been more than happy to do so. Uh, so there are a lot of teams around the league that uh, that should really be saying, why can we get in on that? And I mean, good for Steve Eiserman again, but also this was probably quite easy for him because Carolina's initial ask was probably like, oh, can we have Jonathan Bernier in a second? And he was like, uh, how about a third? Something like that, something ridiculous. And I think the actual quote from him was like, you're going to have to ask them why they were comfortable doing that. So it's pretty pretty scathing words. I'm, Normally I'm teams happy, I'm happy. do their own players. It seems like Carolina didn't realize uh, how good Nadalskovic really is. Yeah, this is not this is not this is not the only trade in which they seemingly gave up a player for less than value when there seemingly was no reason to give him up. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I just and so did Don Waddell not do his homework? Was Stevie Eisenman the first guy that he called? He said yes, and then called it a day because that's what, and I, I'm convinced that he just wanted a third. Uh like he called up Eisenman. He's like, give me a third and Bernier, and then Eisenman was like. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. Um, because I can't imagine the, the uh, other teams all said no to this. Is the league that no stupid? Way. We have 29 dumbasses just running running the teams. Um, and Isaac Joseph Kick and Julian Brisebois. Right. I, I find it very hard to believe that they all said no. And I mean, like, Colorado, that's another team I think should have made this deal if it was offered to them. I'm not convinced it yeah. was. Um, it sounds like it sounds like Waddell really wanted to get rid of this guy for no apparent reason other than he wants $3 million, which is below market value, um, and then just found the first taker and gave him away. Um, yeah, and, and the other trade I was alluding to, they, they also sent Jake Bean to Columbus for a second-round pick. Um, another rather confusing giveaway. Now, um, a second-round pick is more than a third-round pick, obviously, but still, I expected more for Jake Bean. Um, and yeah, I like, apparently he wasn't happy in terms of his playing time because, you know, Carolina's defense is very good, but it was like, it was well published too, that like, I saw reports before the trade happened, you know, like Carolina is looking for a second round pick for Jake B. And then like, how do all the teams not jump on this offer? seems like Columbus got first dibs. Uh, so, so nice piece of business for them. Um, I mean, getting rid of Seth Jones for that big of a haul and then acquiring Jake Bean with just a second round pick is a absolute steal. Yeah, and I, Jake Bean, if that was the only thing, was that he wanted to get wanted to play more. I mean, that was going to happen this year because they lost. Uh, well, they haven't. You know, we don't know where Dougie Hamilton's going. I'm I'm guessing he's still staying in Carolina. Uh, who's didn't they lose like a, a defense? I can't remember. A Slavin, Hamilton, Pesci, British. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Jake Bean. Look, because looking at the Hurricanes depth chart right now on defense without Hamilton there, Slavin, Pesci. Brady Shea, Jake Gardner, Joey Keane, Maxime Lejoie, Eric Jelena. Sounds like there's plenty of room for Jake Bean to have an enhanced role. So I think this was also a matter of Caroline just going, eh, you know, 
uh we're sick of him i don't think he really fits which i don't i don't agree with at all and columbus really did they were one of the big winners of draft weekend there's jake bean trade the seth jones trade uh and they got three first round picks and they did uh quite well on uh, on all of them so that that rebuild is uh, going pretty nicely not to mention seattle took nobody off their team which couldn't hurt yeah absolutely and um speaking of seattle so last last episode we, we didn't know what the hell was going on exactly. Like we had we had our suspicions that there weren't any actual official side deals. That proved to be correct. There were no side deals. And in the end, there was only one post expansion draft trade. Uh Tyler Pitlick for a fourth. That is like a it's a whatever trade. You see those in the NHL all the time, right? Like a depth forward for a mid round pick. Whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, it's clear that Seattle had uh, no intention to make any sort of ex- extensive trading. Um, and yeah, now we know for, it's official. They done fucked up. Um, and they weren't able to weaponize shit. And it seems like they're going to use this cap space <laughs> because Arizona did a better job of weaponizing their cap space. Um, you know, with, with that Goss spare trade, they got a second round and a seventh round pick. Uh, it seems that Seattle is going to try to get some big fish in free agency. And we all know how well that usually turns out for teams um, spending big on July 1st or July 28th this year. Yeah. Um, this really going to crack. Everyone's like, oh, they got some trades in place for tomorrow. Tyler Pitlick for a fourth and nothing else. Wonderful. Good work, Seattle. They still, I don't imagine they're done for the offseason. I assume they're going to trade at least one of their, uh, their defensemen. But it does seem pretty clear their plan is to go after some big guns in the open market. Uh, probably... I mean, maybe Dougie Hamilton, but they would. I assume they would trade several of their defensemen, uh, you know, to make room for him. Probably Landis Gog they're going after. That's the word on the street, even though uh, it didn't really seem like they were, like there was that much interest from him because he was left exposed by Colorado when they talked a bit in that window. Uh, and I mean, I don't imagine Ovechkin's leaving or anything like that. So I really think uh, Seattle's probably going to just be continue to underwhelm. We thought there were a bunch of trades coming. There weren't. They just took a couple pending UFAs from Chicago and Columbus. Uh, and now they just made like, you know, one post-draft trade. And uh, it's just, you know, a pretty home start to their existence. Not to mention, with their second round pick, they took Riker Evans, who was ranked like 192nd North American skater by Central Scouting, <laughs> which probably translates to like, I don't know, about somewhere between like 300 and 350th ranked overall, unranked by so many lists. They're like, yeah, these are second round pick. So uh, raising some some eyebrows at the draft already, the Kraken. Great start. Great, 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 great start. Um, and so, yeah, with all those big names, nobody's really tied to Seattle. Um, I fully anticipate that they will overpay for some scrubs. Um, and just like that, their big head start. Oh, we start with no bad contracts. Sure seems destined to have not lasted very long. Um, and uh, that's on Ron Francis. That's on Ron Francis, yeah. and the fact that they won't be able to get anything. Um, big indictment on his part. All right. Uh, more wait, stupid trades. Yep. Wait, hold on. I want to take a look at uh, the UFA list, see who the Kraken are going to target. Because actually, I realized last week when I was saying, here's what the Kraken lineup uh, looks like as of now, I somehow forgot to mention Colin Blackwell. He's probably going to be like on their third line or something. Uh, so what, what I said about Tyler Pitlick, just like put Colin Blackwell in there anyway. Uh, so, I mean, they could use any forwards, obviously. Let's take a look at some top forwards. There's Landis Gogovechkin, uh, not Hall or Nugent Hopkins anymore. 
Are they going to take a run at Thomas Tatar? Or maybe Philippe Dano? I could see them overpaying Philippe Dano for sure, especially, you know, because they don't, uh, they're not very friendly with Montreal right now with how they handle that whole Carey Price thing. I could see them as one of the teams to overpay Blake Coleman, you know, uh, Ron Francis mentioned character like five times when talking about why he picked Matty Beniers. So like Blake Coleman, we'll give you a five by five. Come join us. Or like I could, I could see them overpaying like Brandon Saad for sure. Like give him like a six year contract or something like that. Oh boy. All these names, none of them particularly tantalizing. And yeah, they all sound ripe for bad contracts that take them into their mid thirties. Um, and that you instantly regret, regret as a franchise and as a fan base. Um, yeah, uh, like, like there's really it's it's a pretty it's a very thin uh, free agent class uh, up at forwards. I don't think so. Um, I I think so. I mean there are, there are a couple. Oh, I mean I didn't mention like Jaden Schwartz, Kyle Palmieri, Mike Kaufman. Uh, there it's not it's not that bad. It's just like in terms of player quality, but it is the, a lot of the type of player that GMs will uh will overpay, which I guess you can say about most years. Right. And so free agency really is quite the uh, – it's an inefficiency at this point, isn't it? Um, you know, teams playing left and right. It always has been. You know, teams playing overpaying left and right. Um, it's not not the way to build a team is through free agency. It's through trading and especially through smart drafting. Uh, and Seattle, through both of those avenues, not off to a great start at all. I mean, you talk about that second round pick they made. You talk about the complete lack of trades they made in the expansion draft. Um, I not not many high hopes I can say um, for uh, Seattle in the next couple of years. Hmm. Uh, so the Sabers. I don't know if this is exactly what you were going to segue to, uh, but they arguably got less for Sam Reinhart than they did for Rasmus Ristolainen. They got comparable value for him uh, because for some, I guess another theme this year is that. A defenseman, just by being a defense, a defenseman, is worth like five times as much as a forward. But anyway, Sam Reinhardt to Florida, which means Florida now has on their roster the first overall, second overall, and fourth overall picks from the 2014 draft. Ekblad, Sam Reinhardt, and Sam Bennett. Uh, so there's a, a super fun fact for everyone. Uh, it's a nice pick for Florida. I like that they're, you know, really appear to be gearing up for a contention window. I think it makes sense as long as you make Spencer not your starter and don't try to force, don't try to make Sergei Bobrovsky happen. It's not going to happen. I think that's like a Mean Girls reference or something, even though I've never seen Mean Girls. Um, But anyway, Buffalo, they they got uh, Devin Levy of Canadian World Junior fame. Um, Probably their, you know, besides Allmark, of course, who's a UFA anyway. They're most valuable, you know, young goalie in the system. And a first-round pick in next year's draft, uh, which is going to be much stronger than this year's draft. And it sounds like Eichel is probably not far from uh, being the next one out of town, as we've known for a while, of course. Uh, which means a, uh, they'll probably get, like, a roster player back for Eichel, but it'll mostly be futures. And let's look at uh, some of the supporting cast surrounding Eichel at the, the current Buffalo depth chart. Victor Olofsson. Dylan Cousins, Casey Middlestad, Tage Thompson, Jeff Skinner, Rasmus Asplund, Anders Bjork, Zemgus Gergensen, Cody Eakin, Kyle Pozo, R2, Ruot Salainen. Uh, that's 12 guys, and I don't think anyone else has played an NHL game. And on defense, as it stands, you got Dalin Yokoharyu, Robert Hogg, Colin Miller, Jacob Bryson, and Oskari Laksanen. 
those depth charts get bad very quickly, don't they? Um, <laughs> and their top goalie yeah, under contract deep. is Dustin Tokarski. Beautiful. Who you projected to be selected in the expansion draft. Um, yeah, just, uh, oh boy, that is terrible. Um, and so Buffalo, in that sense, good job selling uh, on Reinhardt, but they, the return, is it is underwhelming. You Especially if you, you compare it to, to Ristolainen, I mean, like, Reinhardt's a much better player than Ristolainen. Um, but, uh, yeah, the return's all right. I think Devin Leva, Levy, um, I mean, Florida, I think, sold high on him because, you know, as a prospect, because of how well he did in the World Juniors. Um, the first is nice, but for a player who, you know, I forget that Sam Reinhardt's only 25 years old. Um, yeah. That's, that's like, that's younger than I thought he was. Uh, you know, like years in Buffalo seem like they're really just, they take, three years off of a guy's career, uh, but he's only 25 and, you know, he was able to do like, he was really able to like, you know, generate offense even when Eichel was, uh, was out with his neck injury. And so this guy on, on Buffalo with like minimal supporting cast. And so this guy can produce offense. And I imagine he'll only do better surrounded with a talent uh, in Florida's top six. So uh, that's a great fit for him. And, and in that sense, you know, I, it's a, only a first round pick and a goalie prospect. Uh, it just, it, it is, it seems a, Underwhelming for Buffalo, but this guy was was on his way out. Um, unless you have anything else to add on that, the stupid trade I was referring to um, was actually the uh, St. Louis New York Rangers trade, and yes. which the Rangers, for some reason, decided to give up on first line winger Pavel Buchnevich, who had his just had his breakout season, and they sold him for nothing for parts. Sammy Blay, who was like a bottom six guy and a fucking second round pick. And that's it. That's it. Um, and you know, I think Butchnevich is an RFA, right? But I don't see how you should be having such a big problem signing up, re-signing your first line winger. And instead they sold him off for a couple of underwhelming parts. Uh, no sense on the Rangers here. Great pickup for St. Louis. They get a, a quality top six winger. Yeah, absolutely. Butchnevich. Wow. He was almost a point per game this year. 20 goals, 28 assists for 48 points in 54 games. James Dolan is ruining the New York Rangers. It's officially begun. We were talking about this near the end of the season uh, when, you know, he uh, fired Jeff Gordon and John Davidson and basically said, like, uh, or, or the rumor was that he, was, he wasn't happy with that they were prioritizing skill players over will players. And you're like, oh, boy, strap it in, everyone. Get ready for this. We're going to trade our top line winger for a fourth liner and a second round pick and uh, sign Barkley Gaudreau to a six year contract that pays him like over three and a half million dollars per year. Um, and I think I even saw, because obviously, like, Brett Howden is uh, quite the bad player, and the Rangers traded him to the Golden Knights for like a fourth round pick, which Rangers fans were happy about that. But people were complaining about, I saw, I literally saw this on Twitter, a Rangers fan complaining about the Barkley Gaudreau signing. And and someone replied like, uh, "They got rid of Brett Howden. Aren't you happy? All you want to do is complain, or something like that." <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Uh, you talk about uh, like well players over skill players. I mean, it really they're really following that fucking blueprint, aren't they? Um, Sammy Blay is, is is very much a will player because he doesn't have much skill. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, like, if you didn't sign Barkley Gaudreau. Maybe you would have the gap space to re-sign Pavel Bushnevich. Um, you but definitely they, would. they prioritize the will over the skill. Um, so, I mean, it's just absolutely nuts. 
absolutely just uh -huh. nuts. Um, and it's crazy how you know these general managers. Yeah, I was just gonna give you a great new tagline: When you prioritize the will, you will lose. Isn't that so clever? Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Um, just put that on the uh, Madison Square Garden spray paint. <laughs> put it up as a banner, because um, uh, that's the slogan. I mean, wow! You take a, you take a, you're taking a big bite out of your first, uh, your top six there, uh, and yeah, Blade just isn't that good. A second round pick doesn't make up for the uh, the the difference in talent between the two. Doesn't even make sense positionally, really, because they're both wingers. Um, yeah, I struggle to find the uh, the rationale here yet again. And it's just remarkable. We have trade after trade after trade to talk about. Um, and so many of these are absolutely just mystifying. Yeah, uh, almost every single one of these trades is really good for one team and really bad for the other. Uh, yeah, Jones, OEL, Ristolainen, Gostisbehere, Reinhardt, Nadelchkovic. Uh, one that I, well, I mean, Tyler Pitlick for a fourth uh, makes sense for both teams. Uh, one interesting one that I was like, yeah, yeah, I think maybe Philly is the slight winner, but it's not that bad for Columbus, was uh, Jakub Voracek for Cam Atkinson. And it was interesting because, like, that was on, that was yesterday, and it was after just, you know, all the other massive deals broke. So even though that is, you know, in a vacuum, a pretty significant trade, everyone's just like, oh, yeah, cool. Whatever. Yakov Voracek for Cam Atkinson. Voracek going back to uh, the team that drafted him. Uh, obviously, the Flyers had kind of been trying to to get rid of get rid of him for a while in his big cap hit. Cam Atkinson, though, it makes sense, I think, because Atkinson is cheaper against the cap uh, and a comparable player, maybe even slightly better than uh, Voracek, but he does have that extra year. He signed till 2024, where I think Voracek is signed till 2023. And that's not a massive difference, but I think that does, uh, you know, balance out the value a little bit. I do think, though, that uh, this is maybe Columbus's only miscalculation of the weekend because uh, I don't really know why you'd go out of your way to give a pretty good player who's cheaper against the cap for uh, Jakub Voracek, who's uh, quite overpaid. Yeah. Um, yeah, this really did fly under the radar, eh? Uh, it's, uh, and, and, and what it is now, it's, it's, it's an exchange of cap liabilities because that's what both of these players have come to and Voracek more so than, than Atkinson, which is why I think, yeah, I agree. I think Columbus loses this trade by virtue of taking on the worst contract. I mean, $8 million. I think it's a bit over $8 million. That is way too much for a guy who's very much on the decline. Cam Atkinson though, I didn't know he was 32. I mean, his face looks mm -hmm. younger than 32, I found. So I always thought he was like 27. Um, I have no idea what like. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but they're the same age. Um, but yeah, Atkinson's slightly better because Voracek has seen a serious decline there in the last couple of years. Uh, and but yeah, it, it's they save $3 million a year, maybe a bit less. Uh, so, so good for Philly. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I don't expect either of these guys to make such a big impact on uh, their respective teams. I think maybe Atkinson bounces back. I think that's more likely than Voracek. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the draft. Owen Power right. went first. Not a surprise. Matty Beniers went second. Not a surprise. Mason McTavish to the Ducks third overall was a little bit of a surprise, uh, but uh, not too much. The first big shock of the draft uh, was at 10th overall, in my opinion, when the Ottawa Senators took Tyler Boucher, who was ranked 29th by on, uh, on Bob's list. 
Uh, I had him like 61 on my list. Not that my list is credible at all, as is well documented on this podcast. I I, literally, I crammed research like even after we recorded to try and put together a list because I, I like to have my own. Uh, but yeah, he was outside of the first round in many publications. Uh, and basically they're comparing him to Josh Anderson in that he's like a power forward who hits hard and has some skill. Is this the type of player you take 10th overall? Probably not if you're a smart team. Uh, the Sens, once again this year, by uh, most analytics models I came across and follow, were like, ah, yeah, they blew a ton of draft value uh, here with, with pretty much all their picks. In the second round, they took a guy, like Ben Roger, Ben Roger, who was like a, a defensive defenseman at like five points in the OHL, and uh, Zach something, I don't know. Uh, so Ottawa, Pierre Dorian is just clowning here, their whole scout, scouting staff. Once again, it's like the third year in a row. We're like, ah, they left a ton of value on the table, didn't they? But on the other hand, I do have to kind of hand it to them for, I, I kind of respect the strategy of just trying to take a bunch of guys who are friends with each other, you know, after they acquired, <laughs> like, like when they acquired Josh Norris in the, in the Carlson trade, uh, and they asked around like, what do you like about Josh Norris? And he was like, well, he's Brady Kachuk's best friend. We can start with that. And like in 2018, um, they drafted like uh, noted best friends, Jacob Bernard Docker and Johnny Tyconic. Um, and it seems like they just like drafting nice guys who get along. And I'm like, you know what? Respect. I enjoy that strategy. <laughs> and, and I hope it works out for you. I, I, I hope everyone has a good time, has fun. And, uh, you know, maybe that can, maybe they can turn friendship, the power of friendship into a good team, like a, like a Disney Channel movie. Yeah, the, vi- the vibes aren't terrible. The hockey might be, but the vibes aren't terrible. Um, so the, Pierre Maguire's reign is off to just an absolutely spectacular start. <laughs> yeah. um, as head <laughs> of player development, their very first pick in the top ten absolutely shredded by everybody on in the media for uh, being very strange, and then his second round pick also shredded in the media. Um, it just yeah, that wasn't wasn't a good draft by Ottawa. And uh, what do you expect? I mean, what he's head of player development. I'm sure he had a say in these kind of things. Uh, and yeah, just fantastic. I- exactly what we expected from the guy who knows everything about where these people come from, and apparently not much else. Uh, so good job, good job. Um, and I mean, there were player- better players to be had. I think uh, just in terms of you know player archetypes. I mean, really, you're gonna draft this kind of guy who probably tops out as a middle six forward um, in the NHL. Man, come on. Um, and you could have had him later. Probably could have gotten him in the second round. Because, um, yeah. Um, and if not, Maybe. I mean, that's some other team overvaluing him. So, yeah, strange pick. Strange fucking pick. And, uh, yeah, I think they should have probably gone goalie. Uh, but even then, there were better forwards available. So, including the unremarkable Matthew Coronado. Uh, so, going <laughs> to Brennan here is a big question mark. Also, oh yeah, I want to shout out. Uh, who was it that wrote that 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 Rangers paragraph? Um, I don't remember who it was. Was it Rick Carpinello? Yeah, it was. It was. Shout out to him. He absolutely nailed it, eh? <laughs> but 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 also qualifying it with they're probably gonna trade the pick away. Um, he's he like his whatever pick ended up being exactly correct. So so shout out, yeah. Rick. Yeah, good good work on that one. I wish you stuck to your guns more though. You're like, there's no way the Rangers are not taking Brennan Othman, and then you look like a genius. Uh, oh well. Anyway, <laughs> that would have been pretty funny. Um, 
yeah, we could talk about the goalies, actually. Uh, it kind of reminded me of last year with Drysdale and Sanderson, where the consensus is that Drysdale was the best defenseman, Sanderson was the second best, and there was a gap uh, between them and the next ones. But Sanderson ended up going first before Drysdale. Same kind of thing this year with Jesper Wallstadt and Sebastian Kosa, where the Red Wings preferred Sebastian Kosa so much that they traded up from pick 23 all the way up to pick 15 to draft him. A uh, great high-ceiling goalie. And uh, Jesper Wallstedt, fell all the way to number 20, where, you know, it's so great. The Oilers need a, a goalie of the future so badly, and there they are, pick number 20. Literally the ideal thing, the the dream scenario for the Oilers happen. So they decide to trade back two picks uh, and let Minnesota move up, swoop in there, take Jesper Wallstead, and so the Oilers can end up with uh, Xavier Bourgo instead of uh, an almost definite starting goalie. That is so, so funny. So funny on behalf of the Oilers. But yeah, lost it. Like, some people were thinking he might go in the top 10. Um, and he, he fell will. all the way to 20. And uh, and the Oilers, yeah, what the hell are you doing here? You need a goalie. Um, and, and yet they were like, ah, we're good. We're good. We're good. Let me just trade back. Um, and the it's guy. Exciting it, for it, me it, to criticize a team trading down, but the Oilers managed to pull it off. <laughs> yeah, only the Oilers could do that. Uh, and yeah, so the, the Wild stole him from under their right under their noses, and for the Wild, that's a it's a great pickup. I mean, now you got you know Cam Talbot. Can't imagine he's much he's there for much longer. And you have Kapanen waiting in the wings, and now you got a a blue chip goalie prospect who you got at twenty, absolute steal. Uh, so uh, great job by them. Um, and yeah, I'm surprised Walsh that went second goal as a second goalie, but also all the way down to twenty. That's uh, fascinating. Yeah, the since uh, Judd Brackett joined the Wild scouting staff uh, in advance of the 2020 draft, they've they've killed it at both these two drafts. Or was it 2019? I don't remember. Either way, Judd Brackett's been doing a great job. Last year, of course, Marco Rossi, Marat Kuznadinov, Ryan O'Rourke. This year, they got Wallstadt. They got Carson Lambos, who you might remember uh, was mock drafted in the top 20 pretty often, uh, dealt with some injuries this year. And that's why his stock fell off. They got him all the way at number 26. Uh, so that's pretty, ni- pretty nice, including uh, Jack Pert. In the second round, uh, that's a defenseman who was like a fringe first round on a lot of rankings. So Minnesota's been killing it at the draft lately. And uh, even though they're gonna, they've got a ton of dead cap coming up, they probably will uh, continue some kind of upward trajectory. Yeah, and so that, that buyout even kind of makes less sense in terms of their timelines. But, I mean, what's done is done, and uh, you can only draft as well as you can. And uh, it seems like the while they're doing that, uh, any other fun things going on in the first round that you want to point out or do you want to get some uh, nepotism in the Luke NHL? Hughes. Oh, I guess this is kind of both of them talking about Luke Hughes, kind of the, the Venn diagram that's in the middle. I actually, <laughs> uh, you might know, I was actually at work for the start of the draft, sadly. So I PVR'd it. When I got home, I watched it and I got to, got to speed through all the talking between picks up until like pick 24, which is very nice actually to watch the, uh, most of the first round on uh on speed run but actually for those who don't know i'm a cashier and i basically heard a customer looking at his phone talking to his friend like oh the devils just took luke hughes and i straight up said like no draft spoilers please i'm, I'm taping it and he thought <laughs> he thought that was he thought that was pretty funny but i i did know about this pick in advance but i kind of i mean obviously i, I wish i hadn't but like especially this one i wish i had because when i watched it i was like the devil's they have like they have they're there with fans and there were people holding up like Luke Hughes signs, draft Luke Hughes or whatever. And it's like, man, if they don't, if, I would, I would have been thinking if they don't draft Luke Hughes now, then uh, 
everyone's going to be pissed because they've gone against the clear desire of all the fans. Uh, but on the other hand, if they do, it's like, wow, kind of looks like they're pandering, doesn't it? And then, you know, I mean, Jack and Luke were, uh, were super happy. But uh, I, that, that was uh, really interesting how it's like, hmm, will they, won't they? Either way, you can paint it so that uh, they don't look too good. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a lose-lose situation. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought the the two players that I thought would slid further than I thought would in that top in that top nine, you know, Eklund and Gunther. I uh, didn't expect either of them to be available there, and I would argue that maybe should have taken him in Houston. I want to point out, it's you know the top six all center and defensemen, and so I think what what went on there is that teams didn't really see much of a difference after power, and they. I think it's pretty evident that they drafted positionally. Um, and that's how you end up with guys like Eklund and Gunther, both wingers, falling to the bottom of that tier. Yeah, I noticed something in the first round, especially in the top 10, that uh, they really were valuing centers slash defensemen over wingers because a lot of rankings, I don't know, wingers like Eklund and Gunther ranked pretty high, oftentimes ahead of centers like Kent Johnson and Mason McTavish. But McTavish and Johnson ended up going uh, earlier than them. And his other centers, you know, in the in the first round, like uh, you know, Xavier Burgo with Edmonton, Wyatt Johnston, kind of, you know, going pretty high, while wingers like uh, you know, Sasha Pastuyov, Nikita Chabrikov, Simon Robertson slipped out of the first round and actually a couple of them even into the third round. Right, yeah. So that's that continues to be an inefficiency, I think. Um drafting wingers, I mean size and then positional value. Uh, are things that are constantly drafted too highly in these drafts, and uh, you know, exploiting undersized winner like drafting undersized wingers lower than their act within their you know their draft value is uh, continues to be something that smart teams uh, exploit later in the draft. Um, so yeah, uh, back to the uh, nepotism train. Um, this was not the only brother or or relative that was drafted to the same team as their relative. Um, notably, in the second round. We, were, we, we, we talked about him uh, in our draft review just a few days ago. We were like, somebody will overdraft him in the first round, perhaps. Um, they did it. He went, he went in the second, late in the second. Uh, it's uh, Colton Duck, brother of Kirby, drafted by the Blackhawks. Um, and among other examples, there's also, uh, what's his name again? Uh, the Doan, the Doan son? Josh. Josh Doan. Josh Doan, um, who's uh, the son. Right, a Shane, um, who fucking works for the team. It's one thing if he's just a franchise legend and like he has no affiliation. And he just, you know, whatever. He literally works for the team. So that's <laughs> like you know, there's nepotism and then there's nepotism, and this sure feels like the second one um, because <laughs> by <laughs> by all means, it seems like this guy was drafted way too high. Uh, and uh, I mean, fucking, is it a coincidence? I think not. Yeah, I think last year the Red Wings also drafted like uh, the son of one of their scouts in like the sixth round or something like that. Oh, oh, oh yeah, Chris Draper's son, Keenan Draper. They drafted like the sixth or seventh round. Anyway, yeah, they're not trying to hide it at all. Uh, they don't even see anything wrong with it. Any of the any of these teams. Uh, they even, I mean, mostly they try to frame it like, oh yeah, it's not a nepotism pick. Here are this the reasons this player is is good and it's like you could have drafted, you know, like 50 players and come up with reasons why it makes sense once you're into the second round. And it's like you're 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 so naive if you think that 
that the fact that he's a blood relative had nothing to do with it. It clearly <laughs> did, first of all. And also the fact, what, what kind of bugs me is these executives and players don't see anything weird about the fact that, like, players' uh, relatives, you know, getting drafted is becoming more and more common. And it's like every year there are more and more, like, players' sons, players' brothers, because, it's, you know, the group of of players who can afford to play hockey is becoming smaller and smaller. And that's why we're seeing more and more, uh, you know, families who a are rich because they were professional athletes and B there's already an interest in hockey because they are a professional hockey player. And to cap it all off, if that weren't bad enough, they're only getting drafted by the teams that their brothers or dads already work for or are on. So there we go. Josh don't to the coyotes, uh, Colton doc to the Blackhawks. That one would have been funnier if it was in the first round. And to be fair, Colton Doc is probably better than the guy the Blackhawks took in the first round. Nolan Allen is uh, an off-the-board pick. He's one of those you know, defensive defensemen who isn't even that good defensively and just like hits people hard. So uh, Chicago kind of blew it at this draft. Yeah. Uh, is, that, is that such a surprise? Um, that moribund franchise. And last of all, we have uh, Taylor McCarr, brother of Kale McCarr. Drafted, I think it was the sixth round, um, uh, at, by the Avalanche. So, oh, seventh seven. round. All right. Yeah, and right uh, the 220th me, overall. Let's see. And this clearly seems to be appeased the guy who just got a, a fat new contract from us. Uh, kind of an affair. Uh, because uh, from what you told me, this guy sucks. Yeah, he's a double overager who is barely over point per game in the AJHL this year. Uh, for reference, his brother Kale McCarr. Wait, let me look. Let me look up uh, Kale. Who, by the way, Taylor McCarr is a center. Kale McCarr is a defenseman. Kale in his draft year. I know it's not a a, a perfect comparison because Kale McCarr was a fourth overall pick, but in his draft year for the Brooks Bandits, he had seventy five points in fifty four games as a defenseman and an eighteen year old. Taylor McCarr in the same league for the same team, uh, nineteen points in uh, sixteen games, two years older, uh, and a forward. So I mean, I know that's I know points aren't everything, of course, but this guy probably didn't wasn't a you know top two hundred and twenty four level prospect. Uh, it doesn't bother me as much that it was the seventh round and it was more like oh yeah let's let's just goof off and have fun. Whereas you know when you're drafting someone in the second round, it's because to a certain degree at least you honestly think that that's the best guy there and. Yeah, my son, yeah, better than everyone else and going to help us the most. Cause, um, the Taylor McCarpet kind of reminded me of when the Devils took Anthony Brodeur right into the end of the 2013 draft, um, who, uh, you know, was a goalie too. He was like 5'11", never amounted to anything. But he's 26 now. He played at the University of Ottawa from the ages of like, uh, like 21 to 25, and I don't know what he's been up to since then. Yeah, so th- these picks late in the late in the draft remind me of you know baseball has that thing right because they have a, an absolutely absurd number of uh, draft rounds going and so you know you see like sons of former players who haven't touched a baseball bat in six years um, and they get their name called and you're like wow this is clearly just to appease the the former player uh, or just I don't know make the fans happy um, but uh, yeah all this to say you know nepotism sucks. There's a reason why it's frowned upon in other workplaces and in basically every other fucking industry in the in the world. Um, but for some reason, the NHL seems to like making a nar- a friendly narrative about it. Like, oh, look at this wholesome group of 
brothers or nephews or whatever um and and not and just completely gloss over the fact that yeah shrinking player base um and strange management decisions all fueled by nepotism yeah so you don't just draft brothers and and sons and nephews you gotta be like the senators and just draft good friends all right family is uh the or friends of the family you choose as the saying goes right so uh you know as if someone can get along well with Josh Norris and Brady Kachuk and Jacob Bernard Docker, get them on board and uh, we can all get along together. Excellent. All right. Um, so is there any other news or any other draft things? It's been a busy, busy week um, that you yeah. want to bring up. I, I guess we, we, we haven't really touched on the McCarr contract. Not much to say there. Six by $9 million. It's appropriate. It's pretty sweet. It's yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, not much, eh? I think we're done. Yeah, uh, pretty ridiculous that uh, that was signed like less than 24 hours after the Seth Jones contract, considering Kelmacar is younger and better by a lot, uh, and he's you know cheaper and shorter term. So uh, good work for Colorado. What else is new? Oh, one more thing on the draft. Interesting to note that Atu Radu dropped to the Islanders 52nd overall. Uh, so he fell out of the first round, I guess. Uh, most teams were, you know, pretty turned off by a lot of those red flags. And the Islanders got potentially a first-round talent in the second round. Obviously, only time will tell. But uh, that one was uh, an interesting name. Yeah, definitely. It was a name, to keep tra- it was a name that we flagged um, before the draft. And, uh, yeah, all the way to 52nd. Um, I was surprised. Uh, I knew he was going to fall. And probably out of the first round, I thought, especially... You know, yeah, it seems like you get this kind of uh, snowball in motion, and it tends to let it tends to lead to quite a fall. But uh, all the way to fifty second, that was very surprising. Uh, and uh, I think the Islanders that's that's a that's a home run second round pick. I don't care about the red flags at that point. That's uh, there's a lot of ceiling there if you can get that right and fixed up with a uh, Aturati. Yep. All right, I think that's it for this week's fusion. We'll be back next week uh, after free agent frenzy opens. So hopefully and expectedly there will be you know, a lot of big fireworks and hopefully the lack of a, uh, a talking window won't uh, make things as slow and boring as they were in Free Agent Frenzy last year in October. Thanks for listening. You can follow this podcast on Instagram, Fusion 8 Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter too. And you can go eat. Great. <laughs>